0: I'm just really struck in my uh, way of being that my thinking about this and my experience of this is, is pretty purist. And it boils down for me, um, not that there aren't shades of gray in it, but how is the information? How is How are these data, whether they're qualitative or quantitative data from these assessments, how is it being used? And that in that clarity, we find uh, the differentiation
1: between formative and summative.
2: You're listening to Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching
1: As the Glossary of Education Reforms defines it, formative assessment refers to a wide variety of methods that teachers use to conduct in-process evaluations of student comprehension, learning needs, and academic progress during a lesson, unit, or course. Formative assessments help teachers identify concepts that students are struggling to understand, skills they are having difficulty acquiring, or learning standards they have not yet achieved so that adjustments can be made to lessons, instructional techniques, and and academic support. Deciphering between formative and summative can become complex. Formative assessment is assessment for learning with summative assessment being assessment of learning. Focusing on the overall objective of the assessment and design of the course progression will help to clarify which label your assessment falls under. Does the assessment allow for feedback and revisitation of the learning, or is the teaching complete and moving on? Formative assessment allows the instructor to receive and provide feedback to ensure the value of content and instruction is effective. The other thing to be aware of is the effectiveness of the tools being used for the assessment. More digital tools are being created with accessibility and efficiency of feedback in mind, but sometimes the use of good old-fashioned thumbs up, thumbs down, or color-coded cards work just as well. The murky areas of formative assessments usually involve the use of grades and providing a point value. With the intention of providing feedback and allowing for room for revision of teaching and or learning, planning for the use of formative assessments can be effective. Quoting a lead academic researcher on formative assessments, Robert E. Stake, when the cook tastes the soup, that's formative assessment. When the customer tastes the soup, that's summative assessment. Let's spend this podcast talking about formative assessments and their value in effective course design. Get ready, folks, because this can be a tricky topic. Welcome to this episode of Instruction by Design, your podcast to the art of teaching. My name is Celia Kuchoitiwa from Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation's academic innovation team. Joining me today are.
2: Aaron Kraft. Stephen Crawford.
1: Jeanette Senegal. And we have an absolutely amazing special guest joining us today.
0: Karen Sayward. I am extremely excited about joining uh, with this team today. I am the senior director for academic innovation here at the College of Nursing and Health Innovation and uh, a proud
3: team member. And you're a last minute addition. This was impromptu, so to speak.
0: Absolutely. Um, it is a moment of spontaneity uh, from a person of, very, of a lot of structure. So um, I'm being spontaneous and I'm just thrilled to be here with all of you and participate in this conversation and discussion.
2: And I guess one of the reasons why you're here is because of your extensive background and the topic of evaluation.
0: I believe in it. I believe in understanding that what we do has some uh, measurable impact and that we actually uh, do something with um, that which we assess and evaluate to improve learning and and
1: our teaching. Awesome. Well, at the time of this recording, we are celebrating our one year instruction by design anniversary. All right. Well, let's get started. So there are many ways to throw in formative assessments in your course. What are your favorite techniques in class, online? Muddiest point. What is the muddiest point?
4: So generally speaking, the category of classroom assessment techniques codified by Angelo and Cross, they recommend muddiest point as a way to bring closure to a unit, a conversation and give students an opportunity to assess what they're still confused about.
1: When providing the muddiest point assessment for your course, how would you differentiate between doing that in an in-class environment versus an online environment?
4: There are a couple different ways for online. You could uh, you could encourage a discussion board conversation that's open-ended. You could encourage students to submit their responses through a form and then aggregate them and highlight themes. There are a couple different ways to accomplish that.
2: One of my favorite ways is to use an automated quiz using on the LMS. Works great for face-to-face or online. What I like to do is just have a simple knowledge quiz, especially if a student is going to be applying a process later in the course. By having that knowledge quiz, quiz where when they get a question wrong, it provides them information. Either it provides them the correct answer or provides them a pointer to where they should go look in the course materials to create a better understanding of what they're supposed to be doing. And that way they can, you know, and sometimes they may want to take it more than once, but it's just a great way to kind of go, do you know what you think you know?
0: I think that there are so many classroom assessment techniques, as Jeanette referred to, to select from that um, one of the keen things in um, making that selection of what formative assessment um, technique to use has a lot to do with reading your learners um, and also uh, reading yourself as as an educator. Uh, You are doing formative assessment for a reason. And the uh, selection of the tool, in my opinion, should proximate and fit The reason that you're doing that. So in some cases, a muddiest point uh, may be best suited to that moment in the teaching environment, whether it's in classroom or online. In another uh, case, doing a survey, an online survey, asynchronously might be a way for more journaling reflection on the part of the uh, learner themselves as well.
2: Yeah, you talked about the the survey uh, part. One of the things that I think is also a neat idea is to use clickers in the classroom. You know, you think about as you go through a section, a quick little quiz. But you're talking about reading the students. I mean, that's that's one way to do it because now they're forced to make a decision. But I think a lot of times, if if you're lucky enough to be in the classroom and talking to your students, just look at their faces and their eyes. What is their what? Does their appearance of understanding happen to be, do they look puzzled, do they seem to be getting it, but I think by making them make a decision, you can then de- dive deeper.
0: I also think that teaching and learning doesn't need to be a mystery on the either end for the learner or the, the teacher, that our students, our learners um, understand why they are being um, invited to participate in formative assessments. That it has some purpose beyond the purpose for the educator, it has purpose for the learner. And and so when they engage, they actually understand um, where that information is going, hopefully, um, and what's going to be done with the information they're sharing, hopefully. Um, Because I think that's so key to uh, a meaningful uh, learning experience for both the teacher as well as the students. It's a co-created moment.
1: So how would you approach the issue of time when a course is content heavy and let's say the the instructor can't figure out a way to, to get that in? So there are several techniques that lend themselves to just quick informal assessments all the way to something that's pre-planned and more time consuming.
3: So I'm sort of biased towards thinking about online course design because my background isn't in, on, in online course design. But I like what ASU does in having these hallway conversation areas where students can have a, a venue, a forum to talk about classroom-related stuff that's not necessarily content-related, maybe things you would talk about in the hallway in, you know, before or after class with your fellow students. I, as an instructional designer, I've had to go in uh, a few times and go comb through these uh, uh, hallway conversations to find out where students... Uh, maybe have a jump in anxiety, like all of a sudden they say in week five I wasn't able to locate such and such, and then you have several students responding, yeah, I can't find it either, I can't find it either. And as a designer, I can say, oh, this is a problem, something fell apart here, and we need to revise that. And then I would alert the instructor, and then I would make sure that we're, it's not going to happen in the next unit, the next module. So I appreciate that, and I think because it's uh, asynchronous forum, you're not necessarily constricted by time. So that you know, that's the ID perspective.
0: Well, Erin, you bring up an important point that when we're talking about assessment for learning, it's for learning about what? So it may be course content, it may be navigating um, an online environment, it may be very different things.
3: From the ID perspective, I'm thinking about how can we improve the course design. If I'm thinking from an instructor pr- perspective, I'm thinking how can I improve the instructional material. You know, after all, formative assessment is, at least in my understanding, is a yardstick for the instructor, not necessarily for the student.
0: Yes. And I see it as both. I really do. Everybody needs to course correct. And if you put it on the shoulders solely of the the teacher, then it's the teacher solely that's making the adjustments versus inviting your learners to adjust their approach to learning.
2: And I think that's why I enjoy dialogue as much as I do. In the classroom, you have a conversation. In an online class, you have a uh, a discussion board. And well-crafted questions leads to a discussion that will reveal either gaps in what you provided the students so that they could have a full understanding of what they need to know and also identify gaps in the students' knowledge.
4: Well, back to the point of stating why you're inviting students to participate in formative assessment is getting them to a place of developing self-regulation of their own learning and understanding how to be better learners across the board, not just consumers of knowledge but better
2: learners. And that comes back to your question about if you have a lot of material to cover, one of the techniques I've heard often is don't worry about it. Have the students uncover the material instead. So the idea of of students going out and doing discovery learning, that way you're not covering the material, but the students are invited to go out and uncover it themselves.
1: I think that also lends itself to making sure that you're providing uh, great feedback to the students so they have something to go off of when they are doing their own self-assessment of their learning. You know, the instructors might forget to do that piece so that they have something to learn off of. And they're, you know, just thinking about the assessment that they're using so they know where to go with their teaching versus what the students are getting back as far as their own information goes. Getting into some more discussion on in formative assessments and how to assess, would you call homework a formative assessment? It depends.
2: It depends. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'll tell you, I think back to some of my undergraduate education where you had three major assignments. Exam one, exam two, and final exam. And you had the reading for homework, and there was an expectation you were gonna do the questions in the back of each chapter. And of course, they only gave you the answers to the odds. And so the idea was that hopefully you could figure out the odd numbered questions on your own, and then you'd come into class and have a discussion on the others. You know, and that's a lot of, I think that's a lot how many of us learned, especially five, 10, 15, 20 years ago, Hopefully less so today, but probably not. But that's one example of how it can be.
4: If that homework is not, if the loop isn't closed with feedback, like if it's not um, assessed in a way that they get some sort of turnaround on the performance of the homework, then really it's not a formative feedback. They're not going to be able to apply that to the next round of learning.
2: Yeah, it's just doing stuff at that point. Mm-hmm.
3: I think I'm going against the grain here. I think if the homework's graded, not in terms of participation, but an actual grade that counts towards the final point value for the course, I don't think that's formative. I would categorize that as, I don't want to say summative because summative sounds like end of course, right, end of term, but uh, interim assessment, perhaps?
0: I have to side with Aaron on this, that uh, a key decision algorithm for me is, is it graded or not? And if an assignment is graded, it has a summative quality to it because of how the information is used as a form of judgment about learning as opposed to for learning. Now does, my question would be, does summative always have to happen at the end of a course? I would say no. So you can have summative assessments across a course, time, um, that are used and based for judgment.
2: But this is a debate I have often with a number of faculty cuz there there's very obviously a very different opinion on what happens when something gets graded. From my point of view, I I look at it from the point of view of low stakes versus high stakes. And the reason why I look at it from that point of view is I think the pure idea of formative assessment not being graded is a good one. I think it's a correct one because of the fact that you know, it does not impact the final grade of a student. The problem is, is that we know that typically the only students who do formative assessments that aren't graded tend to be your A students and they tend to be not the students who need the help the most. And therefore, if you give it no weight whatsoever no penalty for skipping it, students would salad bar the course and they'll skip those assignments to save time and in the end hurt themselves. And so you have to have some, and I hate to say this, penalty for not doing it. So therefore there's always a small grade time to it to encourage them to do it. And that's why I look at it from the point of view of low stakes versus high stakes.
1: I would also say that I I agree with you, Stephen, but I feel like if it's an in-class course, a face-to-face course, it's Easier to do a formative assessment, have everyone present and have them all do it without any type of penalty. But when you get into a, an online course where you can't, you know, ensure that the student is doing the formative uh, assessment, yeah. Because the only
2: thing you can do is is lock down the LMS, so you can't progress any further without actually trying it.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and it goes back to the course design and how you design your course to progress. There
3: might be an alternate way, at least that came to my mind, I'm thinking, for example, if an instructor has a, a lecture video, and uh, there are tools where you can overlay a quiz, you know, embed that within the lecture video. So maybe it's a 15-minute lecture, and after the first five minutes, you you give a quick quiz over the main points, and then you do that again after 10 minutes, and then again at the end. And that can feed into you know the back end somewhere, either the Grade Center, somewhere where you can look at the analytics and see what the students have done. But if the students go ahead and complete that, not only do they get feedback and know if they've picked up the proper material, but the instructor knows that if, say, on quiz one and three, everybody scored high, but on on quiz number two in that lecture, everybody scored low, need a, I need to go ahead and fix that. But again, back to motivation, though, I no, think... No, actually, you,
2: you, I, I want to take... Sorry, okay, just for a moment. Sure, sure. I think what you just said at that point is theoretically... Right on target. Mm-hmm. I think the problem is the application of it is near impossible because most of our LMSs don't, does not work well with the SCORM interface or whatever would talk to Articulate or Adobe Presenter or whatever tool Captivate, whatever tool we used to do the video with the quizzes in the middle. I wish the tools worked better. If they did, I'm with you 100%.
3: Admittedly, I'm thinking back to my University of New Mexico days where we would overlay quizzes through, what was it? Adobe? I don't know. It was uh, Camtasia was Camtasia Studio, not Relay, but Studio, and then we would do that and it would integrate into the Gradebook. Anyways, to talk about motivation though, I think perhaps you could give a participation grade that could be a, a certain percentage. And that's just the first idea that comes to mind. Students know, hey, if I go ahead and complete these, then at least there's a at least I get something out of it. It doesn't have to be a big portion, but you know, they'll take an extra point or two in their final total.
4: So we're circling around some semantics here across accountability, grading or scoring, and feedback or coaching or mentoring. Semantics. It's the, a dead game here. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we use the words interchangeably sometimes, but they're not really the same thing. And translational.
0: I, as I'm listening in, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, oh structured one, that I'm very unstructured about this in my teaching. Because at some level, I believe, and I think I enact, that formative assessment is a way of being while teaching. It's not a series of activities um, necessarily, or some activity or quiz you pick out of a book. Um, it's that piece of of the art of teaching that relates to being plugged in, if you will, uh, to your, to your learners in the learning environment, whether it's online or whether it's face to face. So, in some ways, a belief system that I hold is as a as an educator, as a teacher, you're you're always on and conducting some form of formative assessment and adjusting your interaction with your learners online or in face-to-face to to be able to glean whether you're in the zone of teaching and learning or if you've gone out of the stratosphere.
3: A state of being,
4: is that what you said? State of being. That's deep. Yes. Yes. It's an opportunity to realign with the objectives too.
1: In my K-12 days, we called that checks for understanding. So we wouldn't, you know, label them completely formative assessment, but we would purposely find places within our content to do checks for understanding, to make sure that we didn't need to adjust something in our teaching and make sure that we are hitting the students.
3: Checks for understanding. That takes me back to middle school, high school textbooks.
2: Again, But but (laughs) this is, but this actually is a really interesting point because as you said, Aaron, we often give participation points in a face-to-face course, and that's exactly what we would do, as Celia was talking about, these checks for understanding. So therefore, you are getting graded on these formative assessments by being in the classroom and participating. In online courses, we don't give participation points. You either do the activity or you don't. So effectively, formative assessments in an online course are, are semi-low stakes graded because they're as participation points, but we don't call them that.
3: Accountability. You, you very well could, though. I mean, if you have a, a quiz that's not... They, how would you call it, like open access? You can have multiple attempts to take. this student go in as many times as they want. It's it's incredibly low stakes. You can see those analytics. You can see oh the student took this quiz. Okay, they tried. There's your participation score. And,
2: and there's one tool. I'm going to give some credit towards Ariel Ambar and uh, and his team with the Habitable Worlds project. They have this platform. They've built this this course on where you can watch the students go through. And what happens is they do these questions in the course and and their of remediation. You can actually watch a flow chart of how they go through the course and you can see the entire multi multi-hundreds of students go through this course and you can see they all, you know, with this huge mass getting through on the first try, and next, another group coming through on the second try. You'll see a third and fourth. And then you always see that one who tried 17, 18 times, either they just weren't getting it or or they weren't something was They're just doing random button pushing at that point. That's mine. Yeah, but that's just (laughs) it. You know, you can, there are tools out there that now show some of that.
4: Personalized learning.
3: We should do a, a podcast on adaptive learning sometime.
0: Totally. So I'm just really struck in my uh, way of being that my thinking about this and my experience of this is, is pretty purist. And it boils down for me, um, not that there aren't shades of gray in it, but how is the information, how, is, how are these data, whether they're qualitative or quantitative data from these assessments, how is it being used? And that in that clarity we find uh, the differentiation between formative and summative.
2: And how many of us look at, let's say we're giving a, a check for knowledge quiz, how many of us look at those scores and go, the students aren't getting it, and then then don't change our teaching practice because of it, or, or don't give an extra lecture or presentation of materials to help from a different angle to close that gap? I'd say, why did why did you do that? Exactly. Then why do we do it in the first place? I've
3: heard the excuse, well, I'm not getting paid enough to go back and change what I just made.
4: Rant card. That's terrible. That's, That's terrible. Yeah,
3: I agree. I agree. I'm not
0: speechless, but I won't rant.
3: <laughs> We're passionate here at IBD. Terrible. This is a much more erudite discussion than what happened yesterday. This topic came up in the office, and it was just, it was almost warfare trying to pin down the definition of formative assessment.
1: Well, I don't know if it was so much the definition. I think a lot of it was that word grading. That was really where a lot of our back and forth conversation kind of was stemming from, was the whole issue of are they graded or are they not? If they are grading, what constitutes as a formative assessment versus a summative?
3: Well, I googled it. I want you to know. And (laughs) our modern-day Oracle Google. Google
1: is everything.
3: And um, the first few hits. (laughs) <laughs> said that they should not be graded. That formative assessment should not be graded. So there you go. I think that that pretty much. But I will. Right I
2: will argue they've always been graded, and the, and my argument will go back to face to face. And the if you participated in the course, where the results of the uh, uh, formative assessment were discussed, you got a participation point. And, and if you weren't there, you didn't get it. So I think to a degree, it's always been graded.
0: No, I disagree. I, and I'm thinking in particular of a course I teach on, Program Assessment and Evaluation, uh, where I invite my students to provide formative feedback um, on the course and their learning uh, midpoint. It's, that portion is, is scheduled and it's an invitation. It's not a requirement. So in most cases, most of my students have accepted the invitation but no one is penalized for not uh, participating or not contributing it isn't a mandatory activity
2: and i think i think in a graduate level course i think that that probably does happen far more often than we're giving credit for i you know i don't but I think in the typical undergraduate level course, I don't think we're as nuanced with a lot of that education. And we tend to do because it's, it's undergraduate. I think graduate level students, we can do things like that more often.
0: Well, when the example you gave, Stephen, is an assessment of whether somebody did something mm-hmm. or not. And again, I, I would just challenge it is getting the point for participation is not about learning.
1: I think the key word is the should it should not be graded and that reminds me of a conversation that we had Aaron in regards to the surveys the surveys you take where you get rewarded with the uh, gift card after completing just thinking, them
3: just hit up some of these uh, local coffee shops get some free drink coupons say if you complete this assessment yeah. you get, get 24 <laughs> cents off your, uh, your coffee you know?
1: so now there's a question of motivation versus formal um, formative assessments
3: you have to college students they're going to do, I don't want to say the bare minimum, I don't want to generalize, but, you know, we're they're busy people. I remember being a graduate student, I was busy, so if I didn't have to do something, there was a chance I may not do it. Oh, boy.
4: Incentives. <laughs> <And laughs> that that <laughs> sent me
0: down a rabbit hole of extra credit mm-hmm. and grade inflation mm-hmm. and other and this goes down the uh, I started
2: thinking about, you know, science education when we talk about the ideal world so much, it's, you know, the frictionless plane and all those things. And I'm thinking that's the problem in education. In the ideal world, students are motivated just by w- wanting to take the course, by wanting to do the degree and complete it, that sometimes, you know, that we, we, we hope that and that's what we want, but it's that's not always the case. So where do we find that happy medium is the real case? Wait,
3: wait, the frictionless
2: plane? Yeah, that? you know, in physics, that frictionless plane that does not exist, you know, that, that thing that flies across a table but never slows down. Not an
3: airplane that's frictionless, but like a… Like, like a, a tabletop. A tabletop plane. Yeah. Okay, I never heard that.
2: Like Teflon. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was physics 101 for me.
3: What? <laughs> I, I, I didn't do well in physics. I did well in chemistry, but not physics.
4: <laughs> well, now that we've touched on implicit versus explicit motivations…
3: It's the ID check, checklist. Check, hey, check, right? check, check. <laughs> oh, I thought Jeanette was hosting, I was like, go on, Jeanette.
1: <laughs> all right, any last words on formative assessment? Are, are we being um, assessed
3: on this today? Is our participation are, being graded? You
1: are being assessed, Erin. Yes, it, the uh,
0: data will be used for your upcoming performance review, summatively.
3: I just want to thank the leaders here at Khan High for all they've done for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, what have we formatively learned today? From our conversation with each other.
3: That
2: we all disagree.
3: <laughs> I don't think that's true. I, I was kidding.
2: <laughs> no, actually, I, I think we all agree on a lot of the basic principles of what a formative assessment is. I think the real question comes down to, as Jeanette said, some of the semantics that come down when grading is involved in student motivation. And that is, I think, a problem a lot of educators wrestle with.
0: Well, isn't just that identifying what the, a critical issue is, though, that if we're all talking a different language and we mean different things and uh, we practice, do we practice with intention and clarity? Or um, I'm not even sure what the next question is. Uh, but semantics make a difference in understanding, especially um, as we work with uh, more junior and new educators.
1: I I think... When talking to some faculty, especially newer instructors, they don't necessarily come in with the knowledge of there being two different types of assessments. They just think assessments. So when we do as instructional designers, if we're looking at a course design and we do, you know, mention a formative or they hear the word formative somewhere, then they sometimes get confused on, okay, this is formative. This is summative. Which, which is it? I think there does need to be some clarity as to or some learning for especially new newer instructors just coming into courses on how to add them into their course to integrate and then how do you do it effectively and then do it.
3: This reminds me of your first question when you're asking about our favorite Mm -hmm. formative assessment techniques. I was caught in thought and couldn't really come up with a single one, but I remember my days teaching English and at a high school in Japan. And I remember that the project based approach that we took my second year there was incredibly well suited towards formative assessment because I could watch the students progress over the weeks towards that final project that they were going to demonstrate to us, and I could adjust like a chiropractor. I could adjust what they're doing along the way, and they weren't graded for that. They were graded on their final product, which is another podcast, I'm sure, but uh, I think if you're you're new to the field or you're not sure how to do it, a project-based approach uh, would be my suggestion.
0: One of my favorite ways of using or tapping a formative assessment technique is in the form of Closing the loop um, within the course. And I've done this both online and um, in a face-to-face environment. And that's a part of asking questions of students in terms of uh, what was their most important learning, ungraded uh, activity, um, and then taking the time at the end of the course to reflect back to the students their, their individual and collective learning. So it requires a synthesis on my part as a teacher and it provides a gift back to the learners um, to see where they started and where they've, where they've come. And there's nothing graded about that um, in, in, the, in that sense, but it's all about um, what they learned.
1: Well, one of my favorites is, um, and it speaks to that, is the KWL chart. And I've even seen Debbie Hagler, who is our... Faculty development? Yes, faculty <laughs> development person. <laughs>
3: She's our Debbie Hagler. <laughs> Scholarship
0: of teaching and learning. Yes, her.
2: <laughs> She'll never hear this episode, you hope. No.
1: I'm sorry,
3: Debbie.
2: Ricardo, we need you to edit I love
1: that.
3: You,
1: <laughs> But I saw her walking around with a KWL chart one one day and uh, she was working, uh, getting uh, prepared for a faculty workshop that she was doing. The KWL chart is basically what do you know, what do you want to learn, and then at the end reassessing what did you actually learn. Um, and so I think that's you know basically what you're talking about when you say that you're providing a... a almost a pre-assessment in the beginning and then going back to it to see what they actually got from everything. Those simple frameworks
4: are really powerful.
1: Very much so. Doesn't take a lot of time, but yes, extremely powerful. This has been great. (laughs) All right. Well, feel free to tweet your favorite formative assessment strategy or classroom assessment technique and how you implement it in your course. We love hearing from our listeners, and we are still very excited that we're celebrating our one-year anniversary today. I'd like to thank the ever-so-wonderful podcast team, Stephen, Jeanette, Aaron, and the producer that produces the most polished production of the IBD podcast, Ricardo Leon, and our amazing special guest, Karen Saywerk. Yay! Yay.
3: We need some more P alliteration for (laughs) that.
2: You can reach us on Twitter at IBD underscore podcast. That is IBD, as in instruction by design, underscore podcast. Or you can email us at instructionbydesign at asu.edu. To find previous episodes, please visit our website at links.asu.edu slash IBD underscore podcast. This podcast was produced by Arizona State University's College of Nursing and Health Innovation.
3: Won't they need to tag that tweet at IBD underscore podcast? There Should you they?
1: go. I'll yes. Go.
3: Is, is that right? I don't know. I, I don't tweet very often.
1: It though. is at IBD underscore <laughs>
3: a a podcast. I've you you I of this
2: podcast before. <laughs>
3: If I didn't hear this, I would be like, I don't know what I'm Closing
4: outro has yes. the, I mean... My
3: three followers are going to be like, why is he telling me his favorite form of assessment? This so
1: going in the outtakes. <laughs> my three followers. We're not going to tweet you, Aaron.
3: By the way, y'all are my three followers, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> just,
2: Actually, I'm hitting the unfollow
3: button. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, you can see context. Uh, incoherent. <laughs> that was a very pointy question.